Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host and star of this show, America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan. And this is Coaching Kernan, episode 259 on the network. We've got a great guest for you today. It's our first college baseball coach uh, of our entire time on the network. And uh, we're, we're excited to have him and hear about the successes he's had over time. Interesting career, and he's served on every level of baseball, both as a player and a coach. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But want to welcome Kevin back to his show and uh, catch what he's been seeing this week. We all follow you on social media as well and chat throughout the week intermittently. And um, also another couple great articles uh, at Ball Nine where we can follow Kevin as well. Great, great uh, people at Ball Nine. Make sure our network is supporting that as well, specifically Kevin's writings. And I did have a conversation, Kevin, with Chris uh, Vitale this past week. Uh, he was at an airport. And as we're talking, he turns to his right and Randy Johnson's sitting there, the big unit. So Typical Chris. And uh, he decided to talk to me. I said, oh, no, no, you talked to Randy Johnson for a little while. We, we and I can talk later in the week. So, But the, welcome back to your show. What, what kind of things are catching your eye this week? Well, the uh, big story I had the other day, which got you know tremendous numbers and tremendous response. I mean, I heard from people all throughout baseball, a lot of people in the media. And what's great is that some people don't, don't know because, you know, it's a different platform than what I, what I have been doing. And uh, they don't know, you know, where where they could find me so now they do and i'm talking big numbers big names and um it was called bat boy and uh the, the lead to the story was simple it said bat boys grow up and it was on about ray negron who's a character in himself we'll have ray in the show and uh, ray ray was drafted by the pirates but uh, you know he was taken off the streets as literally by by steinbrenner george steinbrenner um the way the story goes, he was, you know, like um, he was he was in the Bronx and he was spray painting something on Yankee Stadium or doing something by Yankee Stadium that was he shouldn't have been doing. And uh, George caught him and basically hired him. And that, and somebody made a great point to me about this. Another scout who had read the article sent me a note. And that's the great thing. My notes that I get are tremendous things that I don't even think about. But Ray became a bat boy for the Yankees during the Munson Reggie those years, you know, even prior to that, before that. He was drafted by the Pirates, couldn't hit, so he didn't make it. Came back to the Yankees as a bat boy, then a clubhouse guy for a number of years, and then got involved in community relations. And his stories are amazing. But someone made the point to me, and I think it's a great point, especially what the Yankees are going through now. Steinbrenner had, uh, you know, for all his faults, he had an ability to hire people who loved the Yankees and loved baseball. And for that reason, um, because he hired a lot of kids from the Bronx, you know, those people grew up in the Yankee organization, became successful, all different kinds of things. And there was such a loyalty in the organization and, and, and people really understood the game totally different from what's going on with the Yankees right now. They like, and, and this, 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 uh, scout wrote me a note and said, you know, Right now, you get a lot of these hires. People are just moving to the next job immediately when they get this job. So, um, so Ray Ray's stories are phenomenal. I mean, the things with Reggie. He was the one who urged Reggie, and I'll, I'll end it here. He was the one who urged Reggie to take the curtain call 
after the three home runs. After the first home run, he tried to get Reggie because he had a special relationship with Reggie. Reggie's the godfather of one of his uh, kids. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, uh, John Eric. And actually, John Eric, Ray, uh, Ray's kids are pretty amazing, too. John Eric is a police sergeant up in Suffolk County, County, I believe. And he's on the job. He's delivered five babies. That's that's he's 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 actually been on, on TV shows in New York because he he's been in situations where women, uh, you know, can't make it to the hospital and he delivers babies. So that's that's Ray's kid. But so so Ray told Reggie, come on, let's go. go. And, and back then, the, the Bat Boys and Clubbies had a lot more impact with it. They were with the club. I mean, they were part of it. And uh, and Reggie said no. He was mad at the fans. And then after the second one, he, same thing. Let's go. And uh, nope, not doing it. He goes well, Reggie. If you hit a third homer, you have to promise you're going to do a curtain call. And he says, okay, I promise. So he hits the third homer. He's getting to celebrate. And you can actually see this on video. I saw it on video myself. Uh, he he he's celebrating in the in the and then you see Ray go over to him twice. And the second time he reminds me, Ray, he says, Reggie, you promised. And then Reggie goes out and takes the curtain call. So that's that's kind of what I've been up to. Always busy around here. Oh yeah, I think uh, I, I I sent that on. I think it was Facebook where I. That's my new favorite story that that you've written, and I love all of them. There's not not a single one that. I've heard that from uh, a few people, so it must have been. Uh, I must be getting better as I'm getting older. <laughs> I uh, I think what would be a great, and I, I'm sure you 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 keep them, but. I would love to to see a compilation of all the notes you've gotten over the years, uh, just from people who've read your stories, that the lives you've touched, not just the people you've written about, but the people who get uh, satisfaction, a smile on their day, a little you know pep in their step after reading one of your stories. Because I think, based on what what I'm seeing from afar, people get energized; they're almost waiting for your stories because it is right now you're 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 the only person really speaking the truth out there. Well, I, I'm I'm hearing that a lot, and and people do. I you know ex- that that exactly is happening, and it, you know you, you I kind of always kid. I say I don't write them, God writes them, you know. And even with the like, I'll be walking just for people who want to write and things like that. Sometimes, like I was, I was uh, getting something out of the refrigerator the other day after I had, you know, I knew I was going to talk to Ray later in the day, and I said uh, it, it hit me. Bat boys grow up, and that, that became the lead. Because when for writers, they always get stuck in the beginning of the story. Don't get stuck; just write anything, and then the story comes. And uh, so that that thing flashed into my head because uh, you know God put it there. And uh, once you have the lead, uh, it, it's everything. And and so many people got energized by this story because uh, he also one other point he he recently was honored by New York State uh, in Albany. They wanted to take him, but he did it at the old Yankee Stadium. And he brought bat boys from every decade there. And he, and he was telling me about some of the relationships these bat boys still have with Yankees like Don Mattingly and, and how they grew up. One, one did grow up to become a financial advisor, some other things. And, and squeegee, squeegee was uh, a squeegee. I got, I'll leave with this and then we'll get to our guest. Uh, squeegee comes in off the streets. Another one, a Steinbrenner hires them off the streets. Uh, um, and, uh, Back then, the players and, and Dave and our guest knows this as well. Players have a sense of humor, and you got to roll with it. If you don't roll within the clubhouse, you're out soon, you know. And uh, that's why I was always successful as a writer too, because you could roll with things. And um, so this kid comes in, and Jeter goes to him, "What uh, you know? What's your name?" And the kid gives him his name. He goes, "Nah, you're not that." And Jeter gives him the up and down, like you'll get in clubhouses, like I did the first time from Munson when I walked in a clubhouse. Judah gives him the up and down. He goes, 
No, your name is Squeegee. You look like a squeegee. And that kid became squeegee. And here we are so many years later, and he's still known as squeegee. So that's that. <laughs> we, we had a, we named our kid Spider. I think at the time we were watching that movie over and over again with uh, one of the mafia movies. And that was. Oh, yeah. Movie. Yeah. Good fellas. Yep, good fellas. We called him Spider. He was because he was dancing around for something. Someone put something hot in his shoe and he was dancing around. We called him Spider. Well, that's the fun of clubhouses. His mother didn't like that too much, though. So. But uh, so we'll get to our guest right now. Uh, again, follow Kevin on on social media and Ball Nine. Support our brothers over there. They do a great job, and Kevin's stories are uplifting every week and always hits an angle that nobody else is thinking about. Uh, our guest today, um, very excited to have our first college baseball coach on the network after 258 episodes um seventh division two coach to reach a thousand wins at the time he did it took his program from nai to to d2 has had hundreds and hundreds of players go on and play beyond and, and do some great things not just in playing but coaching and we have some interesting stories that guys have taken a non-linear path to professional baseball we certainly want to get to what I found interesting, he played and coached at every level um, and including a tour with the King in his court, uh, which we'll get to as well. But uh, with that, I want to, I want to introduce Dave Barnett, Skipper Flagler college down in Florida, highly successful program with kids both on and off the field. And Dave, welcome to our show. Well, thank you, Dave and Kevin. Really, uh, really appreciate you having me. It's an honor. Well, we're, we're excited to have you. I know you have a close relationship with Kevin and, and I've admired your work from afar um, you know, Division Two baseball is uh, some some great hidden talent comes through there, and I I always say that's probably the hardest level in my mind to to coach and recruit at because you have the the kids with the Division One dreams uh, that that have that paradigm that it's Division One or bust, and you have the kids that are you know they 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 have their mindset on the the Division Three because it's maybe a little less intense in their mind and. And uh, but the, but the successful Division two coaches, boy, that those are some special programs. You certainly created one down at Flagler. Well, thank you. Thank you. I wanted to start the question. We we do a lot of uh, with with all of our shows. Uh, we're in seventy three countries now. Um, we have forty three thousand plus subscribers, and we get a lot of recruiting questions out there. We get a lot of parents listening, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices, and you threw. I mean, three stories at me in like three minutes from the first time we talked. And I just thought that was the, the three interesting. I just want to throw three names at you um, with kids. And you can start with whichever one you want and, and share their stories. But this is to kind of show parents. And you can speak to it however you want. But that the journey from grassroots to high school, high school to college and college to potentially professional baseball has many, many paths. Um, but the three names I was going to throw at you, Chris Holt, Zach Bove, and Jimmy Leo. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and, and you're right, Dave, you're spot on. I mean, you just never know how kids are going to develop or what their path might be, just like with all of us. Uh, you know, we, we probably didn't know at that age exactly what direction we were going, but baseball j- does kind of pull you in and grab you, and, and uh, there's a lot of opportunities. And uh, I'll start with Chris Holt. Chris Holt is his current position. He's a major league pitching coach with the Baltimore Orioles. But he, how we found Chris Holt was was interesting. He he was from Maine, and he was probably just an average pitcher out of high school. So he went to a, a small Division three school in Maine called St. Joe's. He went there for two years, and he had a good friend that that played at Tallahassee Community College. So he 
he drove down there, I guess, probably over the holidays when it was starting to get cold in Maine to see his buddy. And, and he told him, he goes, gosh, I would love to pitch in Florida, be, you know, play somewhere in Florida. And uh, at, at the time, Mike McLeod was the head coach at Tallahassee Community College. He was there a long, long time. And he, he had, I guess Chris asked him, will you, look at you, will you watch my bullpen? Because Mike McLeod was a pitching guy. And so he, he thought his mechanics were pretty good. And I guess Chris had said, gosh, do you know any programs in Florida, you know, where I might be able to play? And, and he said, well, a, a, a guy I know from Tallahassee named Link Jarrett is an assistant over at Flagler College. You know, I don't know if they're looking for pitchers or not. So, you know, back then you, it wasn't, you know, we didn't know anything that was going on. Mike McLeod just called and said, hey, there's this kid that threw a bullpen down here and he's not bad and he plays up at a division three in Maine. So I don't want to sound like we stole him. This is years ago, but, but he, he recruited us. So, so he came over and I think he, I, I, I guess we just said, Hey, well, if, if you can get a release or however it works, you're welcome to, we'll give you a shot, you know, no scholarship money. And we didn't have much back then. Anyway, we were, we were NAI at that time. And uh, so he comes down and he, he pitches, you know, a handful of innings his junior year. He he didn't lose. I think he was three and zero, but maybe threw twenty twenty five innings in relief. And but you know, he threw strikes and and he he went out that summer and I guess worked hard and he came back and he's thrown a little bit harder at the time. He in his junior year he was probably mid eighties and he comes back and his senior senior year he's throwing upper eighties with a a really good breaking ball and a good change up and and great control. And, um, and it's funny how players need to realize that one, one game can make a difference and you never know who's watching. So we're down playing Rollins college and there was a scout with the pirates there. And, uh, he pitched a masterpiece against a, a good division two program and Rollins. And again, we were in AI and he wins the game and, and he, um, I think he threw a complete game. And after the game, this pirate scout asked me, he said, who is that kid? He said, he's, he was 87 to 89, but he got his good breaking ball. And so I told him, and I guess the pirate scout got in touch with him later in the season. And, and the, the interesting thing is there were no other scouts to my knowledge that, that contacted Chris, but, um, the draft came and back then it was a 50 round draft and he went in the 21st round. So, uh, anyway, so he gets drafted by the Pirates and goes out and plays one season and uh, goes back spring training. They let him go the next spring training. And, and then uh, he got into – he was intrigued by pitching. And he uh, – I, I mean, I could go on and on and on. But he, he kind of became self-taught in the sense of how he was going to teach pitching. And he, he got involved with a baseball ranch, and I always say that he was a disciple of Brent Strom. And a lot of you probably know Brent Strom out there, but Brent was doing things back when it was a little bit um, unusual. Maybe some people didn't accept some of his teaching methods, and it's it's funny now that those teaching methods are what everybody's using. <laughs> so, him and Ron Wolforth had something going, even you know back in that time. And so Chris got involved with them. And uh, anyway, Brent helped him get his first job with the Astros. And that's where he started. And then he's 
went with the uh, Orioles as a minor league pitching coordinator. And I don't know, maybe three years later, he was asked to be the, the pitching coach. So he's this is his third year in the big leagues with Baltimore. It's uh, certainly not a linear journey by any means there. What about the Zach Bove? By the way, Dave, Dave, I just love love these stories. So, Phil, I'm I'm glad you're you're telling these uh, these three stories. Go ahead. Zach Bove was uh, a guy that we got a a first baseman hitter out of Central Florida Community College who just recently won the JUCO World Series out in Grand Junction, Colorado. But uh, Zach was from Lakeland, Florida, and, and uh, played two years at Central Florida Junior College or Community College and transferred us to the first baseman, really a smart hitter. Uh, I used to joke with him. I said, do you take a bad swing at the breaking ball on the first pitch just just so they'll throw you another one? <laughs> and he, he, I mean, I, I swear he, he would – I don't know. He said he did, and he'd smile at me and say, nah. But he, he was a, a real clutch hitter, a good first baseman. So he played his two years at Flagler, uh, didn't get drafted. And I don't think he had aspirations for that necessarily, but just a good, good, solid player for us. And then uh, got into coaching, I think went back down. He was from Lakeland. He went back down to Lakeland, Florida, helped out with his high school team for a year or so. And then went over with Coach Smith, Marty Smith, who's been there a long time at Central Florida Community College and helped him out as, as the hitting coach and about, Three or four years later, the pitching coach left, and he asked Coach Smith, "Can I can I work with the pitchers?" He goes, "I really want to learn about pitching," and so he 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 learned a lot about pitching in a short period of time, and he he got a call from the uh, Minnesota Twins to to be their Gulf Coach or Gulf Coast League pitching coach, and he did that for a I think one season, and then they. They must have liked him. They said, well, we want you to be a, a coordinator at the low levels, you know, deal with the, the a, a ball players and the rookie league players. So he did that, I think, for two years. And then it might have been the guy that he worked for with the twins went over to the Royals. And uh, next thing I know, he's he's named the assistant major league pitching coach and this is his first year with uh, the Kansas City Royals so he's the guy on the bench that when the pitchers come off the mound he uh, he's got the computer in hand and he talks to them about I would assume how to how to pitch hitters or how to pitch the guys coming up or maybe talk about you know their spin rates or you know what what this pitch did or what pitch that did or this guy, this pitch got hit because it was mislocation or, you know, that, that stuff's a little beyond me, but, but he's very good at it. He's very good at it. So he's in his first year in the big leagues. And, and then uh, I think the third person, Dave, that you wanted me to talk about that we spoke about the other day was, was a kid named Jimmy Leo. And he's in his fifth year as the, as the major league uh, uh, bullpen catcher for the Atlanta Braves. And he had an interesting, that's a, that's a really funny story because we, he was, he played for us all or he was on our team all four years, but he didn't play. He was, he, he was a third string catcher and uh, a backup. He, he was a good kid. I don't, it, I, I know this is terrible, but I don't, I, I can't tell you if he, he must have appeared in a game through those four years, but I, I can't recall really 
him playing much. If he might have got an at bat, he might have played in a game or two. But anyhow, he uh, he was such a good kid when he was near the end there. He caught bullpens for us is what he did, basically. And uh, he had he was a sport management major, and he asked me about, uh, you know, any internships or if I knew of anybody and, and he wanted to do something in baseball. And I said, I, I know somebody and I'll call him. And it was I called this guy named Brett West. Well, Brett was a four year player for us. Uh, Flagler and outfielder, and he's he's now he's actually a, a pro scout with the Arizona Diamondbacks. But at the time, he was with the Marlins. So I called Brett, and and I said, Brett, I said, is if there's any internships, I got a kid, and I promise you got to trust me on this one. This kid will do anything you ask him to do. So anyway, he he calls me back and says, Yeah, we got a we got an internship where I can get I can help him. So. And Jimmy was from like the West Palm area. So he, if, if you, their spring trainings in Jupiter. So it was kind of a good fit. They didn't have to worry about housing or anything like that. I said, he lives down that way. So he gets a job with the Marlins and they put him on a camera. And so he's filming hitters and stuff. He's just an intern. Well, the guy liked, liked what he did, whoever his supervisor was that charged of filming. And so they hired him on after his internship and he traveled around that next year at all the minor leagues, he was, he was in trip. He went to AAA. He went all over the place filming guys. And I'd keep in touch with Jimmy. And he said, I really don't want, I really want to do something in player development. I really, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing it because it keeps me in baseball, but I really don't want to be a film guy. Well, anyway, the guy with a, his, his boss gets a job with Oakland and he brings Jimmy with him. So Jimmy's now out in spring training in Arizona with Oakland and, and uh, and he's doing his filming or whatever. And he calls me one day. He says he's all excited. He goes, Coach. He goes, I I I applied and I'm getting an interview for a bullpen coach with the Atlanta Braves, and they're going to fly me, you know, into Orlando to to I guess I, I guess you try out. I mean, obviously you'd have to see if you can catch these guys throwing, yeah. you know, throwing 100 miles an hour. So. So I thought, man, that's great, Jimmy. And I, and, and I guess in the meantime, he had done a little bit of catching too, you know, you know, he'd be, he'd be going around filming these minor league, you know, guys. And, and, and he probably said, I was a catcher. So I'm sure that the manager said, Hey, Jimmy, catch a couple of bullpens. So it wasn't that he was rusty, but he go he calls me after a week and said, I got the job. He goes, I, I got the job. And so he was so excited. And like I said, he's doing, this is his fifth year. He's got a World Series ring. He shows me a World Series ring. He's he's in on the celebrations and he travels with the team. He has his own hotel room. He gets the same meal money as the big leaguers. And so he's, uh, yeah, he's, he, 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 he made it to the major leagues. He made it to the big leagues. You can make a living just off that meal money at the big league level. Yeah, probably. With that. Sure. I just got w- one more question for you. I'm going to pass it on to Kevin. Those are wonderful stories. And that, that to me probably embodies your time at Flagler as, as much or more than the, the thousand plus wins that you have and have had in the championships. But uh, there's been a new wave in, in, in baseball and all sports actually with this recruiting uh, transfer portal coming up. And growing up, I grew up around a college called the College of St. Rose. They were an NAI that went to D2. Um, and I remember a lot of guys that had those division one aspirations, sometimes for the wrong reasons, 
would end up transferring back to St. Rose. And boy, they had a powerhouse program. Uh, guys drafted out of there left and right and uh, wonderful. I'm wondering at, at, uh, at Flagler, having NAIA to D2, has this transfer portal phenomenon, for lack of a better word, has it affected your recruiting at all? And what's your perception of it? What's your thoughts on the whole, how it's just kind of taken everything over with recruiting right now? Well, it's, <clears throat> I, I don't think the NCAA made a good decision in, in being able to just transfer from school to school. No, I, I, I'm not 100% clear on the, this rule. I think, I know Division One, you can transfer, I think, one time. I think if you try to go to the third Division One school, you might have to sit out. But, but it's just, it's, it's free agency in college, and uh, it's, you know, every, every kid, I, I, I have camps and I'll, I'll, I'll say, Hey, raise your hand. If you'd like to play division one baseball, I'll, these will be, I'll be talking to high school kids. And of course, every kid does, if they don't, I say, well, why are you not doing that? I mean, I'd, I'd be like saying, do you want to play professional baseball? Of course you do. And, and you should have those aspirations, but, but you need to also be realistic with yourself and the parents need to be realistic with their with their, with their sons that, you know, what is a good level that I feel that I can, you know, participate at and, and play and, and, and have a, have a good career. Just like you said, College of St. Rose, great program. And there's a lot of great division two programs, division three programs. And, and, um, you know, kids are just, but I, it the, the meat, you know, all the social media now, even kids, we had uh, we had two kids, two freshmen, come into our office near the end of the season and said that they want to take a chance and go on the portal. <laughs> and and I and I laughed. I didn't laugh at that time to them, but I'm and I'm in my mind. I'm thinking, okay, you know. And they and they were good kids. They were potentially good pitchers. I'm not Division One. Uh, you know, they hopefully they would have developed for us and been solid. I don't know, but I really. I don't know a hundred percent, you know, what one of them might've been a little homesick, but these kids, I think they start thinking, well, you know, I'm going to go on the portal and see, you know, see if somebody will grab me. It's, it's like, uh, it, it, it's, I don't know. I, I think that, I think they, they hear that. Oh, you go into the portal and all of a sudden you're going to get calls. <laughs> That's not, that's not the case. I, I, I don't, I've never looked in the portal. I don't know. At one point, I think there were 2000 yeah. some athletes in it this summer. And the sad part is, is there, uh, most of those guys are not going anywhere. It's I'll just, give you a number just so you can pass it on to the next kid that sits down in your office. You can slide it over to him and tell him I said it and I'll pass it on to Kevin, but less than a third of those kids even get a call that go in the portal. And less than, and just about 40% of them find, um, find a home. That doesn't mean it's a home that's in a higher level than where they were at. So think of those numbers, 2000 plus kids in the portal, 60 plus percent of those aren't going anywhere, aren't getting mm -hmm. a call. Um, very uninformed. I, th I agree with you. I think the NCA did what they normally do. They make a decision and they run away and absolve themselves of responsibility of uh, kind of administering it. So, but, yeah. uh, yeah, I think, that, well, obviously the way you're doing it's been successful. So keep doing what you're doing and um, kind of smile at those kids that say they're going into the portal because the odds are against them. Um, now, do you take those kids back if they don't get anything? 
Well, no. Once they go in, they've they've pretty much made their bed. Yeah. You know, if, if they're on scholarship, I've I've got to move on and yep. and get somebody else. So no, they've made their decisions. So those are it's what's tough. You know, the loyalty factor. You know, it's funny. You know, back I, I, I we still preach it's all about the team and you know be a team player and it, we're, we're a brotherhood and all that and 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 you want guys to buy in and and even as parents, I think once you send your kid off to college, you hope that it's the, it works, you know, yeah. and, and, and you're not getting a call. They're transferring here or there. And, you know, you've made this investment and, and then all of a sudden, oh, they want to leave. And it's like, oh my gosh, okay, here we go. And you want them to be happy. We do what we can for our kids, but you know, you, you want a little bit of loyalty that, that might be out the door now. Uh, you know, and, and the other side of that is, as a coach, I understand. Let's say I recruit a freshman here at Flagler, and he just takes off and 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 does. You know, he becomes a freshman All American, and 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 then he comes in at the end of the year or whatever, and says, or even even in the summer, "Hey, coach, I'm uh, I'm going to go on the portal." <laughs> well, what for? Well, I mean, I I like you, I like the school, all that, but coach, I mean, I'm getting. People have been telling me, you know, there's the, these division ones want me. All I got to do is go on the portal and they're going to take me. And and that's what that's what can happen, too. I mean, you can have a division two player going to portal end up at a division one school if, if he's good. I mean, if he's great. And 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 that's just that's just another thing that's going to happen. And, and coaches have to accept it. Yeah. Nope. Kevin, I'll pass it on to you to, to pick it up. Uh, great stuff. And uh, the, uh, you know, you can just tell from Dave's uh, conversation here that he's modest and the people he knows throughout throughout the world of baseball. It's really a tight community. And, you know, I wanted to ask first off, what, what did it mean to you, Dave, when you, you became a uh, – you got in the Hall of Fame for the American Baseball Coaches Association a few years ago? Well, no, that was um, – I mean – it's that's certainly the I guess the highest honor that a, a college coach can or high school coach they they take high school coaches and anybody that's in the coaching profession and 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 I'm I'm fortunate I've just I've kind of survived I when I reflect back and think you know this is my 37th year at Flagler and and you know that I was it, it is kind of a a survival thing from from a lot of different factors not just trying to win games, but, um, you know, your, your family, it's, it's not, especially at, at this level, you're not going to financially get rich being an NAI or division two coach. So, you know, some guys that get in have to get out because they've got to provide for their family. It's just, it might not be enough or whatever. So it's, it's all, um, it's all kind of lined up for me and, and, uh, Flagler's been, been very very good to me over the years and in a lot of ways and St. Augustine Kevin knows you know Kevin because you live here it's a a great great place to live great place to raise a family I, I married a local girl so she's got deeper roots than even me in St. Augustine she's lived here her entire life and so it's um you know just I've been a been very fortunate been a lucky guy for sure and the uh that 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 association through the years, you, did you ever hear uh, Coach Scalinas talk uh, the seventeen-inch uh, the plate thing? Did you ever yeah, hear? I was I was at that convention when he was up on stage. What a 
what a what a what a great guy and and he was always interesting I, I don't think that was his only speech but that was probably his best and most memorable but uh yeah a lot of a lot of great points <laughs> a lot of great well, points I yeah, and, his main, and his main point is don't lower the bar you know um and uh all these years 37 years how has your bar stayed the same or whatever uh in a coaching situation with different generations of kids and uh you know dealing with them and different generations of parents. And, um, you know, it's not easy, but it's also, like you say, if, if you, uh, you're, you're in a great spot, Flagler has been a great place to coach. It, it's, it, you, you gotta be a little flexible, I would imagine. Yeah, that I've, I've definitely adjusted. I'm not the exact same coach or maybe I shouldn't say coach. I, I still, believe strongly in fundamentals and I call them constants, things that you have to do regardless. And, and that hasn't changed. And I try to uh, impress that on our, you know, coaches that work for me, the game game hasn't changed that way. I mean, you still still have to throw the ball and catch the ball. And there's, there's fundamental things that are, that are, have been that way since the game started. Um, Yeah. The handling of the players, the, there, I probably we we probably don't condition as much as we used to, but conditioning has changed too. You know, we have now we have strength coaches, which are now called performance coaches, and there's different methods of training. Uh, and and I, I don't really question that because it's it seems to work. I mean, that pitchers do throw harder. You know, there was a time when we when I in the '90s, and gosh, if we had a pitcher that threw you know, I don't know, 90 miles an hour. I mean, that, that was a lot. I mean, that was something for a NAI school, you know, we'd, we'd have some here and there, but, but now, you know, almost every pitcher we have on our staff at this level, even is throwing upper eighties to low nineties. So, so that, that part is, you know, the, whatever the pitching development and the training has, it seems like there's more guys that throw harder now, whether they can pitch. I, I think sometimes there's a little too much emphasis on just trying to throw hard instead of, you know, studying to be a great pitcher and, you know, a Greg Maddox type thing. Of course, these young kids don't know who Greg Maddox is probably, but, <laughs> but, you know, just, uh, you know, the pitchability part is, is especially at our level, because we're not, we don't have somebody that's throwing 95 or 98 or, you know, so, you know, that, that part is, you know, a little different. I, I think I spend more time talking to the kids about how to play the game and situations and, how to manufacture runs and that, that that's been lost a little bit. And I know I'm, I might be getting off track here some, but th- those are the adjustments that I've had to make as a coach through the years that, that, uh, you know, are getting a little more difficult. You know, I, I, I got upset with our team at one point last year. I said, I feel like I'm running a baseball camp here. Yeah, you know, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're not alone. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Talking about some fundamental things that you really should already know. I think that's the showcase player that, that that's that's developed through the years here. And uh, and again, you've been in, in it forever I, um, and seen so much talent come through and have have so many. Can I, tell us, too, a little bit about the uh, before we get back to your your early history. But 
the conference that you're in, that's a, you know, I've seen a lot of your games. That's a, that's a heck of a conference. Yeah, we're in the Peach Belt Conference, which we're the only Florida school in this conference. The rest of them are in Georgia and South Carolina. But yeah, really good, you know, good schools, uh, Columbus State, uh, University of North Georgia, um, Lander University, USC Aiken, Georgia Southwestern. It's They're, they're really good Division II programs that, that get quality players. You know, that going back to this... Um, the portal thing and and the transfer thing, you know, we used to get some division one players that could, you know, because they would have had to sit out and, and all division two programs were getting them. Tampa was getting them the best of the best, but but we could get division one, but see that's out now because you can go D one to D one. Like I said, I think at least once. And so, you know, that's changed a little bit, but there's still, you know, it's it's competitive the recruiting part, um, but there's more development. You know, I, I, D- Dave kind of touched on it at the very beginning, talking about the you know the good thing about Division Two. You, you really it's it is a good level of baseball because you're you can see guys get better. They don't all get better, you, but you, you hope they do. But you know, it's there, there's there's a lot more development. I mean, when you think about, I'm not saying that these coaches at, you know, LSU and Florida and Mississippi state and all these great schools. I mean, these coaches, they're great coaches and all they're great recruiters, but some of these guys, I mean, I, if I get a guy coming in throwing 98, I'm not going to mess with him. (laughs) (laughs) Just let him play, give give him the reps and let him play. Exactly. And the, uh, and again, uh, you know, my son played a Corey played a couple of years for Dave down in, in at, at Flagler's beautiful St. Augustine and has a successful business now, Augie's Draft House uh, Draft Room uh, downtown. And I know Dave has been there for lunch with me and, uh, you know, we've had some good times there. But also let's talk about the the um, I, I love what you were saying, to Dave, about, uh, you know, different players kind of advancing through as players or coaches. But also, you've had a. It's been a situation where some umpires have come through the system too. Explain that how that that works out, and how you've even uh, run into some guys and been surprised to find out where they came from. Yeah, no, it's it's neat. I like like I said, it, it has nothing to do with wins and losses. And I mean, I want to win as bad as anybody, but I, I I'm really I, I hope all of our players and and. And even parents are out there listening. Understand, in in the end, you want your your son to graduate and and be successful. And and the baseball is just a a small piece of that. Once they grow up and and get married and have children, and I have five grandchildren now, and it's it's neat to see my kids. My son was a baseball player, but we'd never talk about baseball. You know, we just talk about family stuff. But but now that I, I brag on all these kids that I've all these players and, and kids that have gone to Flagler and done well and, and in the baseball world. And, and we've got, there's two guys, there's one guy that didn't play it, play baseball at Flagler, but he was a student and graduated in sport management from Flagler that went to the umpire school, Harry Wendelstadt school down in Ormond beach. And and he got a job and he, he persevered through the minors for years and years and years. And, and uh, in this this year in particular, there are this year he's he's a full time major league umpire, and his name is Shane Livensparger. I watched and, him uh, do a Yankee game the other day. Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and so it's neat. So he got his ticket punched, and he's a Flagler graduate who is a major league umpire for a long, long time. And, and then the other one was a player that played for me. He was a first baseman. His name is James Jean. He's in AAA right now. And, uh, and just uh, the feelers that I have out there, and Shane's one of them, he, he tells me, he says he's going to make it. He said they love him. They love him. And, and he's kind of on the fast track. I mean, he's, this is his fourth year in umpiring and he's in triple A. I mean, that's, he's, that's tremendous. So he's, uh, he's moving right up the ladder. He's got the, and he's just, I don't know. It, I, I evaluate umpires on their personality and he's, he's got the, the personality of, of he's just, he's a not only a likable guy, but he's, He's not confrontational. He, I mean, I'm sure he'll eject somebody, but he, he's got the demeanor. He's got the, he's, he's got all those intangibles. I think it takes to, to be a major league umpire. And, and so anyway, well, there's so many different, yeah, there's so many different paths uh, to baseball. And obviously I'm one of them. I played college baseball and got into writing and it helped me being a college player and, and I was at a D3 in New Jersey, but it was a good conference. And um, um, But you, you can relate in so many different ways, and the players have more respect. I can't tell you how many how many good players became umpires. I remember Tony Gwynn, I think Kerwin Daly, was that his name, the umpire? He was he was uh, college teammates with Tony. So those there's, other, there's so many different avenues there. And, and, and one other plug for Flagler, the sport management is a great program. And I know a lot of your players have come through that. And, and the facility itself, what's it like? Uh, you can do a little pitch here, but, uh, you know, it's um, you're not, you know, the cold weather teams come down to you. So uh, what, what's it like playing at your ballpark? Yeah, it's great. It's great. We have great weather. We're in, we're in North Florida. So we, we sit between Daytona and Jacksonville and, and really a good spot. I grew up in central Florida in Orlando and you're kind of, you know, that's in the middle of the state and there might be some lakes around, but you know, there's not, you don't get the breeze from the ocean. You, 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 you live at the beach. Evan, so you're, <laughs> you, you got the, you have the ocean breeze every day. You step out of your house, but, but you know, the, uh, St. Augustine's a, a perfect location for that. And the weather's good. And we even get a little being North Florida, it gets, it'll get a little bit chilly in January and February. So we, we don't have a full fledged winter, but it's, uh, the weather's absolutely perfect. And I just thought of this, but how many coaches have you met through the years? I mean, you've been doing this so many years and, and, and just throw some names. You mentioned one earlier, I think, uh, Link Jarrett, uh, just explain the coaching community as well. Yeah. Well, you know, when I, when I first started, you know, they, they hired me, I was 30 years old and they said, you know, I mean, I got the job, I was young and dumb and I was just happy and full of energy. And, but I realized after my first year, I, I can't coach a college baseball team, you know, by myself, I've got to have a pitching coach or something, especially that. Cause it, you know, I'm, I'm running back down to the bullpen and it, it was, it was tough. So anyway, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't fund it. They wouldn't fund any assistance. So, and I had some, I had volunteer, but not, I didn't really have any baseball guys. I had a guy that helped us keep the scorebook a little bit and, and uh, so anyway, I finally, I finally talked him into some part-time maintenance position because I had to cut the grass too and everything. And I said, okay, well, 
This is the whole yeah, yeah, that's the real deal. Yep. Yeah. So that's kind of how the assistant stuff started, but but I had um yeah, a lot of a lot of really good good guys. Uh, it started my first guy that really helped me a lot was a guy named George Schmidt. And uh, we called him Schmitty. Anybody around Pittsburgh, any old timers would know Schmitty. Schmitty even had a World Series ring from the Pirates because he used to I think he played a little bit in our minor league system, but he was involved with the Pirates as a scout, even though he taught school and was a principal in that Pittsburgh area and, and well-known. He ran an organization called the Little Pirates. But I met George when I was a graduate assistant at University of Iowa. And so after my first year at Flagler, and, and I knew he wasn't going back and he wasn't full-time at Iowa. He would just, I don't know the what the situation was, he would come and spend just spring break because he was still teaching school in Pittsburgh, but he, and he had no children. So he, and his wife was a teacher, but he, he would come to Iowa city and coach the pitchers for like a month. I think he took not only spring break, I think he took some personal time and he, so he was with us. It seemed like most of the season, but I think about a month. And so I got to know him, but he was a real nice guy. He even helped me with some classes in grad school and stuff because I had got my degree to be a like an, a secondary school principal. So so he was he was just uh, he he was like he, he was just like having granddad out there at the time for me. Well, I never forgot him. He was such a good guy. Well, I I had heard that he wasn't going to go back to Iowa City, and so I and we had kept in touch. And I said, hey, I'm down at this little college in Florida. Why don't you come help me? And, and so anyway, he did. And he was with me for about seven years and he got cancer in his, I don't know, he was early seventies and passed away. But, but uh, you know, I, and I've had a number of good assistants, but two, two notable guys out there right now doing real well. Uh, one is Dan Fitzgerald. He's, he's now the head coach at university of Kansas. And he was with me for two years. And I don't recall exactly how I got Dan. He must've sent a resume, um, and so I hired him on. And again, these are these weren't full time positions. Even even then, this was early 2000s. In fact, he was on the same staff with Chris Holt, because when Chris Holt finished playing, he did become my pitching coach for two years. So I had Chris Holt as a pitching coach and I had Dan Fitzgerald that worked with the hitters and all that. And uh, so anyway, Dan's, Dan's had quite a journey. He was an assistant at Dallas Baptist and their main recruiting guy for uh, four or five years. And then he was the assistant at LSU for one year under the new coach that just won it all and, uh, and then got the job at Kansas this past year. Amazing. Um, and then Link Jarrett. Link Jarrett was really my first full-time assistant, meaning we started a JV program. And so that was that was how it was kind of, that was the president, really. The president said, you're going to have a, I'm going to get you an assistant coach, but he's going to be your JV coach. We're going to have a JV team. So, so Link was with me for three years and he had quite a journey to get to where he is now as the head coach at Florida State. But, uh, but yeah, I've been, I've been fortunate. Just had some really, really uh, good guys along the way that, that have uh, gone on and done well. Well, and, and this gets us to, uh, a, a real fun part of your story, but you talked about cutting the grass, but you were cutting the grass. Uh, I believe it was in the, um, you know, uh, uh, at a ballpark and it led to um, getting it a, a one day job uh, with, uh, you know, a softball, fast pitch softball coming in through town. And then all of a sudden that, that softball 
became a, uh, a journey for you for many years. T- tell us the uh, that little story because it's uh, the way you say it, uh, and people listen to this. This is uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, that's uh, that was a. a- like you said, God has a plan, I guess. And and so I, I had played, I was a, not a good minor league player. I, I played one year with the Montreal Expos. And, but you did play for North Carolina. Let's also uh, yeah, say played it. I had a real good year, University of North Carolina. We came in third in the country and we went to Omaha, Nebraska and had a great team. And so I, but I signed as a free agent. I wasn't drafted and signed as a free agent with Montreal. And uh, after my junior year, really, I, you know, I just, I, my mindset was I just wanted to play. I just wanted to play professional baseball. And I, I just thought this is my shot. So they gave me a shot. So I played one year and, and got released and was devastated. Like I guess a lot of kids are. And, and so I'm going to, but I was still determined. I was going to get hooked up with somebody else. So I'd gone down to Hollywood, Florida and Fred Farrar ran a tryout down there for the Yankees and and I, I think once you've been released, they're really not interested in you, especially a guy my size. I was a, I was a, a five nine hundred and seventy pound outfielder, <laughs> so so I, I could run a little bit, and that was about it. But but anyway, so I go down there and try out, and they you know nothing. And then I had another tryout lined up with the Reds coming up. But in the meantime, I'm working in Sanford, like you said, cutting grass and doing maintenance thing about around the old Sanford Memorial Stadium which is a historic, it used to be the New York Giants spring training when, back when Willie Mays played and everything else, but for a short time before they moved to San Francisco. But a nice facility or, not, or a nice old stadium that's still there. They've refurbished, they've kept it the way it is. Anyway, so working there and, and um, the guy that I worked for that ran the stadium uh, had me putting up these posters that said the king in his court. And I thought I was putting up circus posters all around town and these neighboring little communities around Sanford. And he was, and finally I said to him, I said, what is this? And he goes, it's a four man fast pitch softball team. He goes, the pitcher's name's Eddie Fainer. Well, I'd never, I'd honestly never heard of it. Never seen, I didn't even know what fast pitch was. And so make a long story short, I was supposed to play with a group of guys just for fun. It was a, fundraiser type game against them. I really didn't want to, but the guy said, ah, it'll be fun. And and so now I'm starting to think, you know, I want to see this guy because, because the guy was the guy that was promoting it told me that, Oh, he'll, he'll strike you out. And of course I was a little bit cocky. I'm thinking I'm not going to strike out against softball, you know, I hit softball. And so, so anyway, he comes rolling in and, um, and I guess he, he he can't. He told the guy that was promoting the game said, "Hey, I need somebody to fill in tonight because the guy I had last night. I don't know if he got fired or he quit or something. But but Eddie Eddie Fainer rolls into town with two other guys and he needed a player just to fill in that night. So the guy I worked for said, "Well, I got somebody tells Eddie I got so many points to me. He said you're going to play with him tonight." So Eddie, Eddie gives me his fancy uniform. I put it on. There's like 800 people at this in the stadium. I, I was like, God, look at all these people coming to watch this game. <laughs> so, and my buddies are kind of laughing like, you know, like I, you lucky guy. How, you, you know, I said, I don't know, but I got picked to play with him. And all I did was just marvel as I watched this 55-year-old guy strike out a lot of guys I knew on the other team 
and and I'm, I'm playing shortstop and there was I think I had one ground ball hit to me and then in like the fifth inning he pitched from second base and he put me in right center field and I think one fly ball came out to me I didn't have to make many plays and I got up about eight or ten times because there's only four of us <laughs> and so I, 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 I hit pretty good because a guy, you know, a guy thrown against us wasn't Eddie Fainer. <laughs> so, so that was, that was it. So it was, it was fun. I thought, wow, this is pretty neat. And, uh, and so, you know, I was like a celebrity for a day, I thought. And then he asked me to come to the hotel with him and have a, have a beer with him after the game with the guys. And so as I'm going out there, I'm, I'm driving out there with a promoter and the promoter says, Hey, he, he likes you. He's going to, he, I think he's going to ask you to play with him. And I'm thinking wow. in the world, I can't, I've never played softball anyway. So he, he asked me to fill in for six weeks until his son got out of law school. His son normally played shortstop and he was in law school out in Ventura, California. So, so I played those six weeks. So that was my claim to fame until November. And I get a letter I get a call first and he says, Dave, he goes, he goes, John Bateman just retired. And so did Al Jackson. He goes, how would you like to play for us full time? And so anyway, I, I joined the King and his court full time and played for the next, I guess, four years or so. We traveled all over the, really all over the world. You know, we you, played in so Saudi Arabia. You kind of joined the softball circus. I'm sorry? You kind of joined the softball circus. Yeah, I guess I did. I, I didn't. And it was, and, and speaking of fast pitch now, you know, talking about, you know, I said I was cocky and how do you strike out? Well, I didn't know. I didn't, I thought Eddie Fainer, don't, he was the only guy that could throw a softball like that. So now, now I'm playing with, um, anyway, that, that little six week stint, we played the next night, we played in Sanford that night. And then he, he told me to go home and pack up a, bag and I had to be back at a hotel at eight in the morning and uh and we had a game in Statesboro so then we played the next day in Statesboro and and I'm, I'm hitting the ball over the place I man I thought this is easy you know and and so now we're the third game we're in Marietta Georgia and and John Bateman I don't know if you know that name but he played 10 years in the big leagues he was a catcher yeah and he he he, he called me kid he said hey kid he goes I know you you think this Nobody throws like Eddie, but look at that guy warming up in the bullpen. Well, I'm, I look across the field, and this guy's he's throwing windmill or whatever. He's throwing really – it looks pretty hard. So, so he, he said, you haven't faced a good pitcher yet. And so I was a leadoff batter, and that guy throws he, – he, he, the very first pitch was a rise ball, and I swing at it, and I nick it and foul it straight back, and he throws me two drop balls, and I'm swinging at him when they were in the catcher's glove, I think. And they're laughing at me. Eddie's laughing. They're all laughing as I'm coming back. And they said, yeah, welcome to fast pit softball. So, so, you know, we, we, we faced some great, we did face some great pitchers, you know, over the course of those years, but you know, every night, obviously we're not facing a world-class pitcher. No. And the the good thing about it, as a, as a, as a young man, you know, you're struggling to make a living and all of a sudden Eddie Fainer is paying in cash. Yeah, yeah, and the money was yeah, quite a bit more than I was getting in minor league baseball, and and he, he paid us once a week, and yeah, it was I was yeah I, I laugh I think I, I I still might 
not be making as much money now as I was with them. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, uh, you had to grow up real quick. I think I got my education out on the road more than I did in any of the classes that I took in college. Yeah, and just so people know, we're talking to Dave Barnett here, uh, coach at Flagler College, and and I did a piece on Dave about the, uh, you know, we, we, we talked about Eddie Fainer and, and, and really, people didn't. After I wrote that piece, I ha, I was getting like hundreds of like texts or emails, and people just telling me stories about they remember being a kid going to see Eddie Fainer play, or or they went with their dad, and this and that. So he was really grassroots. It was softball, but in many ways, it was grassroots baseball, and and, and the people he touched, and he in his own right, he was well known and pretty famous. Uh, Tell us a little bit about, I know you played in uh, the Silverdome and Magic Johnson complimented you on your speed and things like that. But also, I think, I think you were out in Iowa somewhere or when uh, you met Tom, uh, when Tom Watson came along and who was at the time the greatest, you know, the, he was Tiger Woods at the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ed, Eddie, Eddie was a, a big golfer too in the off season. And, and we golfed a lot during the season when we, we played every game. A lot of people don't realize, you know, he, first of all, he started in 1946. Wow. So, I mean, he was, he had this four man softball team before I was born and, and he, uh, and it's a great story if, you know, how I won't get into the story, how he got started, but you might want to research it, the, you know, how it all came about and it was all his idea uh, but he, he knew everybody. He knew baseball people because he, he pitched a lot. Of course, he threw, you know, in the wild world of sports, and they'd have him throw against major league hitters. You've probably seen the clips against Killebrew and Clemente and striking out Willie Mays and all that, uh, you know, in, in celebrity type events and, and stuff. But he, golf was something he really enjoyed. So in the off season, he was, he lived in California. So he'd play in a lot of these pro-am type things. And, and so we were this. We were playing in a pro am golf event and doing our softball show the next day in Iowa City, Iowa. Which, which that also, before we left there, I had a grad assistantship in baseball. So, so I really got to credit Eddie for helping me find a spot to get my master's degree in Iowa and work for a guy named Dwayne Banks. But, but that. We, we pull into Iowa City about 9.30 and check in the hotel. And we knew that we were going to be playing golf the next day, which I got to play golf the next day with a guy named Jim Dent. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, he, I remember that name. He yeah. was a big he, – he was one of the longest hitters back then. You know, it hit his drives. It was funny. They said he hit, hit his drives 300 yards. I mean – you know, but but you got to think of the clubs that these guys used, and he was a big guy. He'd hit it 400 yards now, probably with the equipment. But but anyhow, um, yeah, we we check into this hotel, and it was later at night, and we had asked, "Is the restaurant still open?" They said, "Yeah, they're still serving." So we went into the restaurant, and we're sitting there, and Tom Watson comes walking in. He just comes up to Eddie, Eddie, how you doing? And he goes, "Can I join you guys?" And it was just. It was just neat. I just kind of sat there in awe that, you know, he, he was in awe of Eddie. And I'm thinking, this guy's just, this is the early 80s. He's winning all these tournaments, you know. He was he was the best. No, it's, it's, that's, you know, it's, it's been quite the road, and it's, it's, it's so interesting. And, and at, at one other point on Eddie Fainer, I, I, know my, I know my father was, a, he played a lot of fast-pitch softball left of World War II after his Navy career. So it was a big deal back then. It was a big deal going to these towns and, and playing. And I also remember 
Tony Gwynn, because he had the same agent as Jenny Finch um, and um, John Boggs. And I think uh, I remember Jenny coming out to San Diego. She lived in the area and, and came out and pitched against Tony and struck him out. So that, that, that when, you, when you're talking about how good these guys are, that's how good they are. And do you think any of your players know you played for Eddie Fainer? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> you got to be you got to be old to remember him. Unfortunately, it is kind of too bad that there wasn't maybe a movie done or you know some better books. There's been some 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 former players have kind of written some books that tell some stories and uh, but you know I don't know. There's uh, the story of it, it. It would be I think it would be a great movie to. To not not just just how it all evolved because he didn't even have parents. I mean, he, Curry Kirkpatrick probably wrote one of the best articles in Sports Illustrated. I think that was in the early seventies. I remember that article, and I remember Curry was he was a great writer. He was probably the best to me. He was the best writer SI had. How about that? Yeah, and he he wrote a. I thought it was a as good a story as there was because it talked about his upbringing, you know, and, and how he, he went change his name and the whole, the story, how all that evolved. And he came up with this cause he was really cocky. I mean, he, he literally, he's the one that somebody challenged him and said, Oh, you're think you're good. You couldn't beat our team up here in Canada or wherever it was. And he said, I'll, I'll beat you, but I'll, and I'll, I'll beat you with just my shortstop and catcher and first baseman. And, uh, and and he said, and the reason he said four, so they'd have four hitters in case they got the bases loaded. And he goes up there and beats them, beats a nine-man team with four guys. And that's how it all started. Amazing. And then, then somebody just, a, a kind of a promoter guy caught a hold of it, and they started, you know, it, I think it started the first time, first few times they did it, it was for like, for a steak dinner or something. And then some some guy, I guess, you know, back then before TVs and stuff, they're, before there was TV, people would come out and watch this stuff. So some some guy kind of promoted it, and I guess took money, and then after the game gave Eddie a wad of cash and said, "Here, I, I you deserve this because I promoted it, and people were coming out to watch, you know, these four guys play against nine, and so that's how it all evolved." Yeah, and I think the wide world of sports also uh, contributed to his uh, notoriety. But I know Dave. Uh, Dave D'Agostino, he's, he's on the other side listening. He always has something before we get to my last question. So, Dave, I'm throwing it back to you. Oh, yeah, and that was great. I, I think our audience got a treat today listening to two Hall of Famers uh, just share stories back and forth. And I think it paints – and Kevin, you do, Kevin does a wonderful job of this. Dave, I think our audience got a great sense of who you are, not just as a baseball person but as a coach and very humble. Um, you know, again, we're talking to a 1,000-plus wins, countless – players who have gone on to success both in and out of baseball. And I kind of want to let you, let you pitch Flagler in a way, uh, you know, what 20 plus years myself coaching college sports. And when families and kids are choosing a program, we often tell them the parents, especially select the man when we're talking baseball that you want to be a part of your life for the next 40 years, not just the next four. I think your stories exhibit that. Pitch uh, to our families out there listening. What if, if if a family is lucky enough to get recruited by Flagler and um, you know passes all the, the tests to to be considered? What can a family get out of playing baseball for Dave Barnett and attending Flagler College? 
Well, I would I would hope that they they would leave here uh, being a responsible citizen, uh, understanding the discipline, not just to play baseball, but to be a student, to how to conduct yourself, you know, off the field, uh, be respectful. You know, that's probably the that word respect. I you know I, I like a lot of people. I probably get too caught up in watching the news and all this. You know, everybody, everybody just wants to be so, you know, everybody's pretty brutal now. Unfortunately, not everybody, but, you know, just the, the stuff going on and, and, and people, you know, what they say about each other. I mean, you know, I, I don't, the, the respect part is, has left us a little bit, you know, respect everybody and whatever you do. I mean, just that, how hard is that? You know, be, be polite. I tell our guys, how hard is it to say please and thank you? I mean, you'd be surprised. It'll take you a long way. And I think most of our guys do that, but everybody's from different backgrounds. I, I don't get, I won't know. I don't get to know the guys and new guys till I'm around them all the time. But I think I enjoy quite honestly, Dave, speaking about just, being a good person and, and trying to teach them some life's lessons and, and work hard and, and expect to be somebody. I tell them, I said, I expect you guys all to be successful in what you do. I mean, Kevin brought up Corey. I mean, Corey, Corey was a good, respectful young man that played for me here at Flagler, graduated from Flagler, married, uh, you can correct me, a, a Flagler girl, right, Kevin? Yeah, and, and 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 now runs a, a successful business, and right downtown St. Augustine. I mean, those are those are great stories. But and I'm not saying I had anything to do with that, but I think that's that's the kind of what Flagler College is all about. We we put out hopefully good people. You know, I mean, we've we've mentioned a lot of them on this on this podcast, but you know, that's what Flagler College is proud of. That's what I'm proud of. You you want people to. Uh, graduate and be good citizens, be good representatives, be proud to have gone to Flagler. Um, you know, that's, that's a marketing tool in itself. And, and, and I think that's probably what's helped us with our, you know, the growth and enrollment. Uh, our college was, the first graduating class was 1972. So the college opened in, you know, 67, 68. So it's uh, it hasn't been around that long. So our oldest alumni are what in their seventies or so. So it's it's not an old college, but but we we need that reputation as being a a college that you know graduates good people and 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 they, these kids have a good experience. They do community service. They they get involved in the community. They are and they're respectful people. Yeah, it sounds much bigger than baseball, and that's. That's how you can tell the the great ones, and that, that very well said. And Kevin, I'll pass it back to you to ask your your final question. And uh, I always love this one. I'm looking forward to this answer. Yeah. The uh, one other thing about Flagler too, it's um, it's uh, you get great weather, um, and I I do still think that there's more girls than boys there, and um, you know uh, <laughs> that that may appeal to certain athletes as well, and uh, you know, and it's. Uh, I, and the, the thing I've noticed too is a lot of the, because um, I, I still see them around, a lot of kids still connect afterwards and, and it becomes a community afterwards in school too as well. And, 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 and Dave mentioned it earlier, but the beach is right down the street. You're in the, you're in the North America's oldest city. Um, it, it's really pretty amazing. And the college itself was started 
right. Well, the college wasn't started, but the building, the main building, Henry Flagler, uh, you know, oral tycoon from from way back when, built this as a resort for all his uh, friends back in, uh, you know, all his rich friends, and they would come down for the winter. So it's it's an incredible building. I think it has uh, in the dining room, and it has Tiffany glass, and uh, so you're not you're not going to some college where it's just a bunch of square buildings i mean it's a it's a, it's a really interesting place in so many ways so so that's that's the that's that's some insight into what it's all about but the last question dave we'd give it to everybody and you answer it any way you want you can think about it for a second it's a simple question uh um and and you have uh you know great expertise at this and you can answer it any way you want uh but the question is simple to you, Dave Barnett, uh, you know, coach of Flagler College and also AD at one time, uh, what does it mean to be a ball player? Uh, you know, to you personally, what does it mean to be a ball player? And you've played it, you were a ball player, you've coached it forever. So what does it mean to be a ball player? Well, it, uh, I mean, baseball teaches life's lessons better than any sport there is, in my opinion. I mean, it's, it's, you got to be able to handle failure. You got to be able to handle the ups and downs. You can be the goat one day and the star the next. And, and it's how, uh, you know, how you handle it, but that's, that's that it's that way in life. So that's why it's the greatest sport. It, uh, every day that is a challenge is, and, and, you know, for, for us, think about it. I mean, we, we've all, we're all former players, but, but baseball, um, to me is I'm just very thankful I was able to make a career out of it and, uh, and never take the uniform off. You you think about that. What, what other coach gets to wear a uniform every day or, or or at least on, you know, when you're, when you're playing, you know, game days, I mean, you don't, you know, you don't see the football coach wearing pads. You don't see the basketball coach out there with a tank top on, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a unique sport and greatest sport ever invented. And, and, uh, you know, it's just, I, I, I don't know, Kevin, I don't know it. All I can tell you, I don't, I don't know what it means because I've never done anything else. <laughs> it's just, it's just been a part of my, my life from the time I was uh, eight years old. I, I never, you know, I didn't play baseball until I was eight. I didn't own a glove or spikes or a bat till I was eight years old. My father never played baseball, didn't know anything about it. And I must have come home from school one day and said, can I play Little League? So I heard some of my friends talking about Little League. I probably didn't know what it was, but, but it just, it just grew on me from that time. And, and uh, I don't know, it's been that way ever since. Fantastic. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, great answers. Yeah. And uh, to our audience, I hope you enjoyed Today, the Hall of Famer, Dave Barnett, thousand plus wins at Flagler. But as you heard from the, the stories and the questions, the program's much bigger than that. And, and his uh, time in baseball has been much bigger than that. Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for all you bring to the show. Great questions today. You always bring out a special side in our guests. That gives our 43,000 plus subscribers just a treat every time they tune in for what was today was about an hour plus. So we're, we, we got treated to a little extra innings today. And thank God they didn't put a runner on second because we would have probably tuned <laughs> out on that. Uh, Dave Barnett, thanks so much for your time today. I think it was a treat for our audience. We appreciate you so much. Um, and to our audience, 43,000 plus subscribers, continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. When you go on today, give Kevin five stars. 
write some nice comments about the, the conversations that we had today, both with Kevin, Dave, and, and myself, and uh, continue to support us as we continue to support you guys. We've got a very sophisticated audience. We're always just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there, and I think today delivered that as well. 73 countries, again, thanks for tuning in, and we appreciate you. And this is episode 259 in the books with Real Voices of the Game, Coach and Kernan.